Bill here. And this is Jeff. Welcome to our introductory episode of the Triart Academy podcast, where it's always better to get good rather than get, get wrecked. Now, before we get into deck construction and archetypes, we would like to take a moment to recognize the fact that there's a difference between the mindset of the average player who slings cardboard for the fun of it and the CDHer who defines their fun and the overarching desire to win the game as fast and as efficient as possible. At the end of the day, it's all about the cardboard, regardless however you choose to play. And our intention isn't per se to tell you how to do one versus the other. By all means, there's plenty of ways to play. That's not what we're about here. We're about building for and playing in competitive cutthroat environments. And in that vein, we're about helping you, the listener, to play and thrive in this kind of environment. And that would include how to identify effective decks, as well as cards and archetypes that are common in the EDCDH environment. That means that we are about building the most competitive and consistently performing deck possible, along with asking ourselves whether or not it is possible to build a deck in a competitively consistent manner from an objective standpoint. Of course this looks different to everyone. Not everyone shares the same viewpoint in this regard, and we recognize that. Magic is just as much science as it is art. It's also a form of self-expression as it is a game where poker meets chess in a Dungeon Dragon setting. To some at a much higher level of gameplay, especially in competitive play, this can become rock, paper, scissors for rules lawyers. But this is why we like EDH. Above all else, there's no other format where you get the freedom of expression to be rewarded. And the type gameplay can be a catalyst for improvement and innovation on already existing archetypes. Exactly. This game is ever-evolving, and that's what's required in order to stay competitive. Either you evolve with the game, or you get left in the dust with the rest of the dinosaurs in Ixalan block. Come on now, get your gets there. <laughs> I call BS. <laughs> Well, let's not take ourselves too seriously here. Let's take a moment of levity, and this is cardboard after all, and the cardboard really can't put food on the table, unless you eat the cards, which we don't suggest. Speaking, well, of, speaking of which, have you eaten any good books lately? <laughs> Jokes aside, though, you're right about that. If you look at the lifetime earnings of some of the best pro players worldwide, and you divide that by however many years that they've been playing at a pro level, you'll realize very, very quickly that playing Magic competitively just to earn a paycheck is a really bad idea. In fact, we're going to go ahead and even throw some links down in our article so that way you can go ahead and see for yourself. In the above examples, you realize these players have been playing well over 15 years professionally, and only up to this point have they made the money they have. The moral of the story, don't plan on making a fortune playing the Pro Tour. They play for the love of the game like we do, and like you do. This doesn't mean much for the rest of EDH, so let's move on before we get too sidetracked. Sure, and speaking divides, speaking of those divides, especially in the context of casual versus competitive play, let's ask ourselves, why does this great divide actually exist between casual and competitive players? Now, in this group's opinion, it's because of the perception that players have of EDH being a casual format. Let's be clear about this. EDH is a social format based on the social contract of the meta you're playing in. It's not a casual one. One person's casual is another person's competitive, and some people prefer flavor over game mechanics. Now let's move on to the next portion of our discussion, where we will briefly discuss, based on our own experience in gameplay styles, examples of some of the typography related to the power level of some decks that we've encountered, along with some card examples as appropriate. We recognize that some of our interpretations may be different from yours, but there are certain commonalities that are universal across tier levels, such as card quality, land to ramp to draw ratios, 
quality of interaction with respect to counter spells, spot removal and stacks cards, etc., and so forth. The descriptions provided here are not intended to be extensive by any means. Let's first start everything off with CDH. Somewhere between the 90 to 100% power level. Decks in this category consistently win by turn 4 as seen by combo decks or slow games down to such a point that the pilot has command of the game such as Bowville Stacks, King of Blood Pod, Teferi Chainville, so on and so forth, via some sort of lock. Usually you see people playing the most powerful, most broken cards in all of MTG's history. Yogg's Will, Food Chain, Time Twister, mm -hmm. Adnaz, Doomsday, and the list goes on for some of the most dumbest cards you could think of. Add in plenty of early game interactions like Thoughtseize, Inquisition of Kozlik, Swords to Plowshares, Mental Misstep, Abrupt Decay, Force of Will, Pack Negation, Slaughter Pack, etc. Most definitely, and I'm glad that you mentioned that, because if the pilot is playing black and or blue or any combination therein, the deck will use as many tutors it can reasonably run in order to make the deck absurdly consistent. And that's usually in the neighborhood of about eight or more tutors that are one to three CMC in range. Further, these kinds of decks are typically seen playing one to two game plans very consistently and is consistent enough while armed with enough early game interaction in the deck to ensure that the overarching game plan isn't interrupted easily based on deck construction and variance. Its alternate game plan is also independent of the deck's overarching game plan and can be effectively executed separate from the overarching plan of the deck, such as what you'll see with Blood Pod decks that run Kiki-Jiki combos. In this bracket, the typical archetypes you will more than likely see are Storm, Combo, and Stacks-oriented, or Stacks-Combo hybrid decks. Typically, land to ramp to draw ratios are 28 to, 20 to 33, 10 to 15, and 10 to 15. This takes into account variation in deck styles, archetypes. This is also because the average CMC of a deck of this bracket is around 1 to 2 mana, with a top out curve to 4 to 5, with some expectations, of course. Sure. Semi competitive. Power ratio between 65 to 89%, approximately. These kind of decks play with some of the most powerful and well known cards. We've already discussed, such as Force of Will, Demonic Tutor, of course. And they also definitely play with mechanics such as Delve, Storm, Dredge, Annihilator also comes up on this list, and so on from here. Sure. And even archetypes. We're, let's talk about Reanimator, Fultron, Nick plus one plus one counters. What's, the list goes on. Uh, you're right to mention that. Now, while the cards are usually good in some respect, like Demonic Tutor and Soul Ring, for example, typically the cards used in the strat are usually only good in that strat, however, and are not necessarily universally good, such as doubling season, which requires a specific stratagem or build-around. Uh, the deck in and of itself is generally consistent in its ability to draw, ramp, and even recover in the event of a board wipe. This type of a deck rarely wins on turn 5 or 6, except on a fluke. Usually these decks win no earlier than turn 8 and prefers to grind out games and go for the win after turn 10, of course depending on the stratagem involved. Some stacks lists, for example, prefer the win this way, depending on the card quality of their stacks cards. Gameplay mechanics may also be linear or anti-linear in nature, such as Dredge paired with Delve. In rare instances, decks may have mechanics that are parasitic in nature, due to the fact they were explicit to one or two sets and have no interaction outside other mechanics in any beneficial way. Horsemen from 
Horsemanship from Portal 3K. We have Proliferate from the uh, Scars of Mirrodin. And even Energy from those in the current in the standard meta. Right, <laughs> Kaladesh, right. Yeah, oh. But for a more contentive rule list and everything else that's also involved with abilities and abilities and all that, prefer to rule uh, 207.2c and rule 702 for more comprehensive lists for abilities and keywords. Sure. Now let's go into the semi-casual uh, category, which is around the 46 to 65% power level approximately. These decks play better cards than normal as compared to typical casual decks, which you'll hear in just a little bit. But usually they will also be playing some poor cards, and that includes an inferior mana base. Games tend to be faster than casual, and many pre-constructed decks can fall into this category when played straight out of the box. The Marin Plunder the Graves deck is an example of this. They may have an infinite combo or two at this level, but oftentimes they will not have a consistent way to pull off that combo. And in fact, the combo itself may require four or more cards to pull off. Additionally, the ramp and draw package for this kind of a deck is not up to spec and or is underpowered in some regard. Some of the more well-known legendary creatures and planeswalkers from the Commander 14 block, for example, may make an appearance as a general. However, this is not always the case. There is an exception, obviously, to Teferi Temporal Archmage, which has its own strategy and archetype, which is tier one in the CDH community. Let's talk now let's talk about the casual. Because you hear to slam on this a little bit and sure. go on. Casual, zero to forty five percent power level approximately. These kind of decks play with a general idea and may have some plan of action, however it is not all that consistent. On top of having probably one of the worst man some of the worst mana we can yeah. think of. These decks will also play fair cards Sometimes to a fault, especially like if you're coming up with something like, I don't know, Chair Tribal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more thematic. Yeah, I know, right? More thematic. These decks are not always intended to win games. These are all about flavor. Sure. Like, these decks, for better or for worse, are always inconsistent. However, in terms of executing game plan, many pre-con commander decks follow in this one, sadly. Yeah. And depending on how they built, it's like... The legendary creatures are normally jank in the first place. Yeah, Tobias Andrian, for example. Oh, boy. Not to mention that these types of decks, the ramp and draw packages are either non-existent or they're truly just using some of the worst cards. Oh, yeah, they're just filler cards, the inferior nature. Yeah, and sometimes they'll skimp on this vital aspect in order to play with the flavor or theme, such as the the notoriously infamous chair tribal list. Yeah, I've heard about that. (laughs) Now, let's put up some final thoughts uh, coming out in this kind of a situation. The tier and power levels that we've provided here are not intended to be hard and fast guidelines, as this game is ever-evolving. However, they are a good baseline to start from. These are meant to be living and breathing documents subject to change as the game evolves. In that same breath, we acknowledge that your experiences may differ from ours, and as such, we invite cordial discourse and discussion from an objective standpoint from the rest of the community. So feel free to disagree. Let's discuss. Let's evolve. Let's grow. And let's all get good. As always, it's always better to get good rather than get get wrecked. wrecked.